1: When the United Auto Workers Union went on strike earlier this year, their president, Sean Fain, didn't mince his words. The billionaires and company executives think us autoworkers are just dumb. They think we don't get it. They think we only understand the power of a supervisor yelling at us or an assembly line coming at us. That's Fain speaking on Facebook Live a few weeks ago. In the video, he's wearing a white T-shirt that says in bold letters, EAT THE RICH. And he's talking to the more than 140,000 auto workers who are a part of his union. They look at me and they see some redneck from Indiana. They look at you and see somebody they would never have over for dinner or let ride on their yacht or fly on their private jet. They think they know us, but us auto workers know better. Here's the FT's U.S. labor and equality correspondent, Taylor Nicole Rogers
0: the auto workers felt like their jobs used to be really good, solid middle-class jobs where you really felt taken care of, but over the past 20-30 years, they feel like that has completely changed.
1: Taylor says that the auto workers' demands are part of just one of several high-profile strikes and contract negotiations that she's been reporting on over the last few months. From
0: nurses and doctors to Hollywood actors and writers to auto workers and then almost airline pilots and UPS drivers, it got to the point where people started calling last month Striketober. We are the Union! We are the Union! The mighty, mighty union.
1: Last week it looked like the union was going to get what they had been fighting for. After 6 weeks of strikes, Fain and the auto workers agreed to a tentative deal with the three major car makers here in the US. That's Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. Now the workers are on the precipice of signing a historic new contract that'll get the union wage increases and better job security as the auto industry transitions to making more electric vehicles.
0: The new contract has been a major step forward for auto workers.
1: And to observers like myself hearing about Fain and the rest of the auto workers and other recent labor movements like the ones in Hollywood, it might feel like workers are gaining more ground than they have in years.
0: We're definitely in a union renaissance, as I want to call it, but I think it might be a little too early to say whether this is going to be like a grand renaissance, like that we'll look back on in 10 years and be like this was the beginning or something, or is this going to be a blip.
1: I'm Michaela Tendera from the Financial Times. Today on Behind the Money, we're looking at three of the largest labor movements of 2023. Find out whether labor unions in the U.S. are entering a new era of power. Hi, Taylor. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So labor unions have been having a bit of a moment recently. You reported that so far in 2023, more than 480,000 workers in the U.S. have gone on strike. That's more than eight times the number of people who went on strike in 2020. So where's this surge of activity coming from right now?
0: We're in this kind of perfect storm between the fallout of the COVID crisis when a lot of workers we really reevaluating if their pay was worth what they were being asked to do when it comes to working in person, endangering your health, working harder because there's a labor shortage, that kind of thing. Also, a lot of labor contracts expired during the pandemic, and then the negotiations were delayed by a year or two. So we had this perfect storm of people really reevaluating their working conditions And then also three years worth of contract negotiations crammed into 12 months. One big theme across several of the strikes is this idea of making up for lost time. There's this narrative, and I I say narrative not because it's not true. This is just a story that they tell, is that workers have given up a lot of ground to help their company survive in hard times. And now it's time for you to pay up.
1: So today I want to focus on arguably the three biggest union movements that have happened in the U.S. this year. Those have been in the auto industry, in Hollywood, and with the shipping company UPS. So let's start with the auto workers. They tentatively agreed to this new contract with Ford, GM, and Stellantis last week. But can you tell me more about how they actually got here to this moment with a new contract on the table? The auto workers contract
0: expires roughly every 4 years and that happened this year on September 15th. And this time around the auto workers are facing a big existential crisis which is electric vehicles. EVs take a lot less people to make than combustion engines and they tend to be made in separate non-union factories. So The union workers really wanted some sort of assurances about what happens to their jobs as EVs become more commonplace in the U.S. And the other thing is inflation. Workers really felt like their wages had fallen behind, noticed that their companies had made a lot of money during COVID, and they really wanted to make up some ground there. So it made for a very intense negotiation session that ultimately resulted in a strike.
1: Now, tell me more about this approach that the auto workers took to going on strike. How would you describe their strategy?
0: A lot of people were expecting them to do the traditional U.S. strike model, which is everyone in the union stops working, the whole plant shuts down, end of story. They took a different approach. The union called it the stand-up strike, which is actually a reference to a very famous series of strikes back in the 1930s. So in this case, Sean Fain would go on Facebook Live and he would say, for example, we're not getting anywhere with Stellantis, so workers at this Stellantis plant, you guys go on strike. And he would not give any warning to Stellantis, so the company would really be left guessing on who was going on strike and when and where. And that was a really novel approach we don't see a lot And arguably, it had a very big impact because they were able to keep a lot of their members working while also creating the havoc at the automaker plants. And I've heard a lot of union leaders say, you know, we might look into this for next year. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Now, let's move to another big labor movement, the strikes in Hollywood.
0: When I say union, y'all say power. Union!
1: Back in May, the union representing television and film writers went on strike. Then the union representing actors joined them in July. This was the first joint strike between those two groups in more than six decades. And sort of like the autoworkers the actors and writers were facing these existential questions around the future of their jobs. While the autoworkers were looking ahead to this growing EV sector, actors and writers were looking at how things like artificial intelligence would impact their rights as workers.
0: We deserve to be able to be protected from machines pretending to be us. We deserve to be working artists.
1: So Taylor, how was their strategy different from the auto workers? If you think about the auto
0: workers making targeted strikes in Hollywood, they just detonated the nuclear weapon. They completely paused all production when the writers first went on strike in May of this year, and the fallout extends far wider. They essentially shut down most of the production in Hollywood. And if you think about all of the other people in different professions and different unions that were out of work from the day one of the writers strike until Well, until now, because the actors are still out on strike, it is substantial. You know, cinematographers, set designers, directors, people who clean on Hollywood sets and cook the food, all of those people are are out of work. Whereas in the auto industry, a lot of the businesses that depend on, you know, Ford and GM and Stellantis plants were able to operate at some level, whether that's parts suppliers and car dealerships, they were obviously affected. But they did not come to a screeching halt, the same way that the restaurants that cater food on Hollywood sets did.
1: hmm So each strike really had a different ripple effect out into the broader workforce. Now, the writers' union did eventually reach a deal and end their strike. So how did that turn out? Did they get everything they wanted?
0: They got a lot of what they wanted. They got pay rises. They got some guarantees around job security. If you think about how Hollywood works, the writers were being hired for a couple of months at a time to write one season of a TV show, then being unemployed or looking for a new job. And they got some guarantees around how long that will be, how many writers there will be per TV show, which they really wanted. And also some basic guidelines around the use of AI in the writer's room.
1: OK. and But the actors' strike is still ongoing. So what's happening there?
0: They're coming up against a lot of the same problems that the writers did. But we are anticipating that that strike is coming to an end soon.
1: There's another industry that had a notable effort in the labor union movement this year. And that's around the workers at the shipping company UPS. Um so, those workers are part of a larger union in the US called the Teamsters, which are historically workers that work in warehouses or are like freight drivers. And now, unlike Hollywood or the auto workers, this group actually did not go on strike. They reached a deal with their contract prior to needing to go on strike, hours um, before. Okay, yeah, they wrote it right down to the line, but they did not end up going on strike. So what happened there?
0: The UPS workers actually took a very similar posture to what the auto workers did. But like you said, they were able to get that deal that they wanted without going on strike, which I think was good because of the role that UPS plays in the economy. There was in many ways a lot more at stake with that strike.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: When you think about the role of auto companies in the U.S. economy versus the role of UPS, obviously the auto industry is very crucial, but the world did not implode without six weeks of new pickup trucks being built, but without six weeks of shipments into grocery stores, without six weeks of you know medicines delivered to hospitals, it would have been a very different situation
1: and i mean how would you compare what the ups workers wanted in their contract compared to hollywood and the auto workers was it again these similar types of demands or what what were they specifically trying to put into their contract
0: it's a bit different because the ups workers do not have this existential new technology threat coming at them, a lot of their demands were around pay and working conditions. So some of the things that the UPS drivers were talking about was the need for air conditioning in the brown trucks. Because if you think about it, they're driving around for 10 hours a day in the sun with no air conditioning. Um, Pay was a really big one because they saw the company making record profits during the pandemic as everyone was Ordering stuff to home. So, in general, the UPS workers' demands were more straightforward in many ways. And also, they were just negotiating with one company instead of three automakers and a handful of movie studios.
1: So, all three of these tactics, you know, each group really took a different tack here. The Hollywood workers took This approach of a general strike. Auto workers took a more targeted approach and UPS was able to reach a deal before needing to go on strike. So I'm curious, thinking back on the last several months, what do you think worked here? What didn't?
0: I think all of the strategies were successful in their own right. Workers came out with a lot of what they asked for. But if you're going to ask me you know, which strike experience I would personally want to have. I would like to be a UPS driver. Going on strike is a lot of work. And even though you do get some money back from your union's strike fund, it's a lot on your family financially. And the Teamsters at UPS showed that you can get these big pay raises without striking.
1: So I'm curious now, seeing these Bigger strikes in Hollywood with the auto workers. Do you think that the tide is turning more in favor of workers getting what they want in a contract?
0: I will say the tide is definitely turning when it comes to public opinion. If you look at the polling, the majority of Americans are on the side of striking workers, they approve of the unions. If you even just think back to the auto workers strike, you had both President Biden and President Trump supporting the auto workers. Have you ever seen those two men agree on anything? You yeah,
1: <laughs> that's a great point. I didn't know that actually. Yeah.
0: In the same week, they both went and met with striking auto workers in Michigan. I, I definitely think that's a notable shift.
1: We've been talking a lot about the strategies of the unions. I'm curious if you've observed anything new or different with how companies have been responding to unions.
0: You know, There is a a very standard playbook that's been largely the same for a long time about how a company should respond to a union. You call workers into meetings on the clock and tell them, we want to talk to you directly. We don't want a middleman. These are outsiders. We'll just go ahead and give you a raise. Don't worry about it. What I would say is changing is that we now have an administration in Washington that is really working to enforce a lot of the laws that we have around what companies can and cannot do when unions are organizing their workers. So I wouldn't say that the playbook has changed But now that these laws are being enforced um, more strictly than they have in the past, the effectiveness is going down. So I've actually seen quite a bit of scrambling in the union avoidance industry is what they call it about what are we going to do? This is a new environment. The things that we've done have backfired in many ways, especially now that you have workers filming managers on TikTok breaking the law.
1: So when you were on Behind the Money last, which was a little over a year ago, we had you on to talk about some of these new unions that were forming at companies like Apple, like Amazon, like Starbucks. And these are companies that hadn't had unions in the past. So what's happened with these groups since we last spoke? Not a lot, actually. So
0: statistically, it's very difficult once you form that union to get that first contract. And that is what those unions are experiencing, although perhaps On the extreme end, I know a lot of experts I've spoken to were expecting us to see those first couple of Starbucks maybe having a contract by now, but that hasn't happened.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, basically none of these newer unions have been able to secure a contract. Why is that?
0: When I asked labor experts, they have said that the real problem is that U.S. labor law only has this very loose standard of you have to bargain in good faith, but it doesn't say what that means. There's no timeline. So Starbucks and the union are having regular bargaining meetings, but they have not come to an agreement. Mm. So when you ask me if those unions are succeeding, it's hard to say because the workers have some legal protections because they're a member of a union, But has their day-to-day changed in terms of scheduling, in terms of how many people are on a shift, in terms of pay? No.
1: So where do you see all this going next?
0: My plan so far for next year is to really loop back to some of these younger unions that we were just talking about, Amazon, Starbucks, Apple, and to learn more about what's going on. Because as time passes, What you tend to see is either you get a contract or momentum wanes and the union fizzles out. And I think that we're really reaching that crunch time for those unions. So I'll be paying a lot of attention to those next year.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Taylor, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Sign the Money is hosted by me, Michaela Tendera. Safia Ahmed is our producer. Topher Forges is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco. Special thanks to Jessica Dye. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Thanks for listening. See you next week.